Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, the base of our sermon is the Gospel lesson as we read through it. And again, John's Gospel is unique. You read it, you know you're not reading Matthew, you know you're not reading Luke. And part of it is, is the great detail in which he, he tells each event or describes each event. And, and as he does so, that there's so much to learn from each one. And each one is powerful and unique in its own way. And one of the most powerful events is this conversation that Jesus has with this woman at the well. And it's an important one for us to, to see because if you look at this, and this is how we're going to approach this, we're going to focus on how Jesus treats the woman. And we're going to see the compassion and the respect that she shows to the Samaritan woman. And we're reminded that of the compassion and respect our Lord shows us. But we're also going to see this as an example of how we are to treat one another. But then we're going to spend the last little bit of the sermon focusing on the reaction then of the Samaritan woman. Having been treated with love and respect and compassion, what does she do? So we go to the beginning of the Gospel lesson, and we pick it up in verse 4. And Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Joseph, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? It's an interesting phrasing there. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. This is completely untrue for the common Jew. They would not have any problem adding miles to their journey. They never wanted to go through Samaria. It was like inviting trouble for themselves and the Samaritan. And so they would purposely go completely around. No one ever saw it as necessary. In fact, it was something you would avoid. So what does it mean when it says that Jesus must pass through Samaria? It's a necessity created by our Lord himself. He had to pass through Samaria for the sake of the Samaritans. It's like Jesus had to come to the earth to bring salvation to the people. He had to go through Samaria for, for the woman and the conversation we're going to see and the townspeople and their response. But also keep in mind as we go through this, he had to go through Samaria for the benefit of the disciples and for the benefit of us, so that we can truly see the extent that the gospel is to reach. He had to go through Samaria to show us that the gospel has no limits and it's intended for all people, even those who we might think are our enemy. But again, we continue in the text. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So how does Jesus show respect? He shows respect with a simple question. But even before we get to the question, we notice that something's amiss. Um, it says it's the sixth hour, it's about noon. This is not a time in which a woman would be coming to the well. Right? The, the gathering of water was a communal event. The women gathered together in the town and came together. It was almost like a social event to, to, to come and do a necessary activity to get water for the day. And so there had to be a reason that this woman was at the well at noon. And yet, isn't it interesting? Jesus at this point doesn't say anything about that. Doesn't ask why you were there. Doesn't jump to any conclusions on her behalf. He just simply makes a request. The request in our eyes is rather simple. Give me a drink. 
That seems like a simple request, right? Yet, you notice in the reaction of the woman, it's not a simple request. How is it that you, a Jew, could ask a drink from me? This is shocking to the woman. It's culturally unacceptable and improper for a man to speak to a woman in the middle of the day. And it's also totally religiously unacceptable for a Jew to speak for a Samaritan. And then add a third part to this. Later we find out Jesus doesn't have a jar or a pouch to gather the water. So if he's going to drink from the water that she draws for him, it's going to be from her pouch. The unclean pouch of an unclean woman. Jesus is indeed showing respect. That, that there is no border between her and him. And also he's showing respect by asking her for help. Isn't that a respectful thing to do? To, 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 to lower yourself, to humble yourself, to admit that you need something from somebody else? Because it's awful tough for us to ask for help, isn't it? Even when we're desperately needed, it's tough sometimes to, to choke it out. Let alone ask for help from someone who's supposedly at odds with you? Who also might even say no to you? He's showing respect by, by demonstrating that he also has a need from her. And isn't that one way that, that we could show respect for one another? Is to ask for help. To admit that we cannot do it all on our own. We're so often focused on being the one that has it all together, that, that we think about what we have to offer everybody else. How often do we think really about what other people have for us that God has placed in their lives? How often are we willing to humble ourselves and receive what others have to offer us? But the conversation continues. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So notice, what does Jesus offer her? He asked first for a drink, but he has an offering for her. He recognized that this woman has a need. She needs a gift of God. She has a problem. She's a sinner. Jesus didn't have to know any more about her background but the fact that she was there to know that she was in need. She was a sinner. She needed grace. She needed forgiveness. She needed salvation. And so who is it that she needed? She needed Christ and what he had to offer. And so when he offers her living water, what is he offering? He's offering himself. And as you expect, she doesn't understand this. He's talking on a spiritual level. She's trying to understand what he means, and she's, she's, he's talking on a, on a physical level. Yeah, the water would be great if I didn't have to come out here anymore. I'll take that water. But again, that, that's not what he's talking about. And we see a little bit of her need for this water, which she takes pride in her ancestry, right? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He's the one that built this well. He's the one that drank from it. His livestock drank from it. She takes pride in, in who she is. 
She takes pride in her ancestor Jacob. She takes pride in herself. She needs Christ and his living water. Jesus is telling her that Jacob's well isn't enough. It'll satisfy you for a while, but it will not truly satisfy your needs. You have to come back here again and again. Only in Christ is there eternal life. The water that our Lord offers is eternal. A water for eternal life that is offered every day. And as we hear Jesus speak to her need, do we not hear him speak to our need? What the world offers us isn't enough, and yet how much stock and pride do we put into the things of this world? But it's never going to be enough. It's never going to truly satisfy. And every time we attempt to satisfy through it, we are disappointed. The Lord offers life. He offers what we really need, salvation, forgiveness. It's all based on what he was going to do in his death and his resurrection. And the image that our Lord uses here is beautiful, right? Right? The idea of living water. What, what, what images that bring to mind? But refreshment, enjoyment, sustaining. He, he uses the uh, image of water. something we need every day. And we need our Lord every day to be refreshed, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be made holy. So again, we go back to the text. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Well, you're right in saying I have no husband. But you had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. So what you say is true. Again, how are we able to see the extent of Jesus' love? We get a little bit more information about the situation. This kind of explains why this woman is at the well at noon and not in the morning. This is no doubt a woman who's ostracized by her community. Um, but notice, whatever divides her from her community doesn't divide her from the Lord. The Lord shows her compassion and respect. He didn't allow her shame come between them. Notice, he continues to treat her with compassion, with respect. He doesn't look down upon her. He offers her living water, living water to deal with the shame that she may feel. In Christ, she could find cleansing. In Christ, she could be made holy. And isn't this really powerful that, that the Lord deals with us in the same way? Many people in their life deal with shame. We all in some way or another deal with shame. And shame is kind of interesting because it comes in a variety of forms, right? There, there's a shame we feel when we've done something that we have we shouldn't do and we feel guilty about it. There's also shame that comes from the actions of other people. Um, things that they say and things that they do to us make us feel dirty make us feel ashamed, even when we shouldn't. Shame has a, an amazing way of bringing us down. But here our Lord reminds us that our shame doesn't affect our relationship with Him. It never comes between us and Him, and there's a reason. All shame that we have in our life, whether we bring it upon ourselves or whether other place upon us, it all is grounded in what? Sin. Christ has dealt with sin. He has removed guilt. He has removed shame. We, we never, no longer are, are covered in it. We, we now are made holy and righteous. The living water cleanses us of all guilt, of all shame, of all sin, so that we are holy before our Lord. We, we belong to Him. And we'll always belong to Him. But now the woman responds and said to Him, 
Sir, I perceive, perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is where the place where people ought to worship. You said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming that neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's very clear the woman wants to change the subject, right? She doesn't want to talk about the, her fast life or what she's dealing with. And Jesus goes along with that. But, but Jesus, again, shows respect, right? Because as the subject changed, what are they talking about now? Religion. And, and isn't it amazing that this deep conversation, this intellectual, theological, respectful discussion takes place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman? I don't think our ears really resonate with how shocking this is. There aren't, hard, there aren't any Jews that would speak to a Samaritan about worship. And there certainly is no Jew that was going to speak to a, a Samaritan woman, a female, on the idea of worship. And again, Jesus isn't worried about the, the cultural mores of the day. He, the only thing he's worried about is the compassion that he can show all people, including this woman. And so he, is, so he shows respect. But notice also, part of the respect is being able to be honest with her. Right? Because she talks about the difference between the Jews and the Samaritans and the, the dividing over, over worship. But notice Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you worship was okay. He says, no, no, you worship what you did not know. And salvation has come through the Jews. He, in a loving way, is telling her that she was wrong, is he not? But he doesn't even dwell on that. He moves forward because he says... The hour is coming and the hour now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That, that I have arrived. Living water is here. Things have changed. And the true worship is found where? In Christ. It's not about that mountain in Jerusalem. It's not about the Samaritans and the mountain that they worship at. That true worship is found in Christ and in Him alone. And those who recognize Him with the living water have life and have salvation. With Him there is um, forgiveness. And, and again, isn't this a wonderful example for us? That, that we can show respect by others. One of the easiest things that we can do is listen. Isn't that one of the most respectful things you can do is, is to listen? And, and isn't our world just full of mean-spirited arguing that doesn't really listen to one another? Isn't a conversation by the children of God that is respectful that is theological, that is honest, isn't that going to stand out? Isn't it a powerful witness when we can respectfully listen to those who we disagree? Isn't it a powerful witness um, when we make points not arrogantly but humbly? Isn't it a powerful witness when we speak the truth of scriptures but we do it with, with love and compassion? We, we follow the example that our Lord has set before us. But now we come to really the, the, the high point of the conversation. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, speak, I who speak to you and he. Notice what Jesus reveals. 
The woman's been waiting for a Savior, waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he. This is the clearest expression of Jesus' Messiahship that, that we have within Scripture. And who does he reveal it to? A Samaritan woman who's ostracized by her community. It's amazing that the love and respect that the Lord reaches beyond the boundaries that, that people want to place on. But, but, but what's most important about this is that he's revealing to her that, that he's, she, he is her Savior. He is the living water. He is the one that we worship in spirit and truth. He's the one that's bringing salvation. He's the one that's been promised. He's the one that's been waiting for. And again, today the Lord shows you the same respect and compassion. The Lord comes to you today and reveals himself as that living water for you. He comes today to reveal himself to you that he is your Savior. He has died for you. He has risen for you. And in him and in his living water, you have been forgiven all your sins, your guilt, your shame, your failure to love, the, the way we fail to listen, the way we fail to speak properly. We can go on and on and list all the sins. But whatever sin you come up with, it's washed away. It's made clean. He is the living water. So up to this point, John is really focused on the conversation between Jesus and the woman, and mainly on Jesus. Now, this last, these last two sections, we want to focus on how does the woman respond? Having seen the compassion and respect that the Lord has brought to her, what does she do? And we're told that just then the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So what does the woman do? She leaves her water jar behind. She came there for physical water. She leaves with living water. And in her excitement, she even forgets why she came, just about, right? And in her excitement, she leaves that behind. And in her excitement, she tells others what she has found. But notice the evangelism here. It's, it's this evangelism by invitation. She says, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She's not arguing them into the faith. She doesn't have a whole litany or a theological dissertation that she's revealing to them. She's saying, hey, this is what he did for me. I think he's the Messiah. Come and see for yourself. She leaves the salvation and the conversion with who? The Lord. She knows that she was converted by her encounter with the Lord. She knows that's the way it's going to be with everyone. And we need to keep that in mind. Because sometimes we're a little hesitant on sharing the faith. We're a little worried about what we're going to say. I might say the wrong thing. Or, I might, or what it's the right thing to say. And isn't the right thing to say, come and see for yourself? I found the Messiah. I found my Savior. This is what he's done for me. Come see for yourself. Open up the scriptures. Come to Bible class. Come to church. See for yourself. See for yourself if, if what has happened for me might also happen with you. Because we don't have to take responsibility for the encounter. The Lord takes responsibility. He's the one that gives faith. And so our last section. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and they, he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
So who is it that brings about faith? It's the Lord, right? They, they come and see. They ask Jesus to stay. And at the end of it, they're brought to faith. They, they recognize it's the Lord who brings them to faith. And, and indeed, they even tell it to the woman. We don't believe because of your testimony. We believe because we have seen it. What you've said is true, that your testimony has been confirmed. And isn't that how it works for us? Who brought you to faith? It's the Lord. Now, did the Lord use people to bring you here? Maybe your parents, maybe a friend, maybe a pastor, maybe a Sunday school teacher, maybe all those and more. But in the end, it's the Lord. And think about all the people that the Lord has used to bring you here. Shows you how much the Lord loves you and what he's willing to do to bring your faith about. And now we have the special privilege. We can be like the Samaritan woman. We can invite others. The Lord can use us. And that's what we pray, right? That the Lord would indeed inspire us and enable us. That we might be used so that others might come to the same faith that we I started the sermon, well, with that first verse, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And as it unfolds, we see why he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria for that woman. He had to pass through Samaria for those townspeople. He had to pass through Samaria for you and for me. So that we could hear once again the offer that the Lord makes. That he is the living water. And that we are able to worship him in spirit and truth because he has made himself known. Not only do we have to get to worship him in spirit and truth today, but throughout our life. And also keep in mind that this living water offers us eternal life. So our worship in spirit and truth today is only the beginning. But for all eternity, we get to do that very same thing. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds to true faith, life everlasting.